0: As we venture into the murky waters of everything you've been told never to bring up at holiday dinner, you'll need a guy. Someone you can trust. A battle-tested, common-sense leader who knows that an extra pair of dry socks just might save your life. That wise old sage has arrived, and he is shouting the Schmidt Show battle cry. Schmidt heads unite!
1: You have connected.
0: I hope! Good morning. Good afternoon. Time appropriate greetings depending on where you're at. This is the Schmidt Show podcast. We're going to kick things off right away this morning. I mentioned last week that I was going to try and make this happen, and uh, we did make it happen on the phone with me. I have um, a retired CBP agent, Customs and Border Patrol agent, and um, I got to get the right uh, the right uh, paragraph up here. Um, he is a retired. Border Patrol Special Operations Supervisor. Uh, his name is Hector Regalado. He entered duty on the 25th of June, way back in 1995. Served around 23 and a half years, um, along with eight years of active duty in the Navy. Started his first stint with CBP in uh, in Imperial Beach, California. Worked in Douglas, Arizona, uh, Nogales, Arizona, Tucson, Arizona. I think it's pronounced Naco, Arizona. Uh, He worked as a supervisory resident agent all the way up here in Carlstad, Minnesota, uh, in the public affairs office in Spokane, Washington. Did a stint in D.C. for frontline recruiting back in 2015. Also did some special details with DEA and with ICE in Arizona. Um, He is um, no other way to describe it other than an expert in the issue of border security, border patrol, And so on. And so we are going to start with a very simple question. First of all, Hector, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to join me. And uh, the simple question is, you know, beyond your resume, tell us a little bit about why we should even be listening to a guy like you on the issue of border security.
1: Hey, Brad, thanks for having me on. Not a problem. Um, Well, as you, as you stated, my background is extensive. I've, I've been in the patrol, I was in the patrol, uh, for over 23 years. Uh, the majority of my stations were, at the time that I was at those stations, at the peak of traffic, meaning they were the busiest in the nation at those times. So back in 1995, when I arrived at uh, Imperial Beach, San Diego, Uh, we were the busiest. Mm. Uh, We were the focal point for the nation. Um, We were arresting um, a 1,000-plus per shift.
0: Per shift?
1: Um, Per shift.
0: Holy cow. And for those that don't know, Imperial Beach is is right down there by San Diego, right on the Mexican border, correct? Right there uh, just north of Tijuana?
1: Correct. And at the time... So now the boundaries have changed for Imperial Beach. Uh, Imperial Beach stretches from the the ocean all the way to the uh, um, uh, port of entry on the the Mesa. Okay. Uh, And so before that, when I was there, we went from the I-5 southbound lanes to the beach, a five-mile stretch. Okay. That's it. So in that five-mile stretch, we were arresting over a thousand people per shift. Oof. We have three shifts, right? So, uh, when we got to work, we got to work. We we didn't we didn't have a whole lot of time to go and and, and check emails or whatever. Uh, it was here's your keys, you go to work, <laughs> and we did. Yeah. Um,
0: and was it was it I transferred- all? Was it all illegal border crossing, or, or was it other stuff as well?
1: No, at that time, it was all just humans. It was just bodies, uh, a 1,000-plus uh, getting smuggled in, um, either in, in, in large groups, small groups, medium groups. Uh, my, uh, <laughs> I like to tell people that, yeah, it, it's, a, it's, it's quite the eye-opener when you see a, a wave of human bodies running at you to try to get through you, past you, in order to enter into the United States, um, you don't have a lot of time to to uh, think about much else except your own safety and how am I going to how am I going to arrest them? How am I going to stop them? Um, you know, fortunately, uh, we have multiple groups uh, or, or units at the stations. We have ATVs. We had the helicopter. We had people on bikes. I mean, we had everything we possibly could, you know, at that, at that time that we could um, to help out with these, these groups because it, it was just nonstop. Uh, you got your workout in. Yeah, I can imagine. New, now,
0: new Now, was there, is there any or was there at that time, was there any sort of, of wall or fence or anything along that border? I mean, because that's a fairly sort of populous area, area, right? I mean, you're talking San Diego, basically, oh, right? Yes.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. No, so because Tijuana is such a large city, it is a fantastic place for them to to prepare to come across into the U.S. They have hotels, they have uh, places to eat, they have place, you know, they have everything, all the amenities they need in order to to stage their the the groups so the, the coyotes the way they do the way they do business is they go they they it's it's just like any other business. They have their customers. Right. Uh, and and they're well known. So they if you are in Mexico looking across into the United States, you start asking who's who's a coyote, who can cross me and they'll start rambling off a list of names and where they work out of. So each one has a little section of fence. That they work from and those are their territories. One will not go into another one's territory in order to cross a group because of, you're in their area. So, um, it, it's, they establish themselves really well. And then when you're at, you know, when you show up to the border, you, you tell them, Hey, I want to cross. They'll prepare you. They'll tell you what you need, how much water, how much food. So it, obviously in Tijuana, you don't have to go very far in order to get into, into the United States, into San Diego, and then disappear. Um, but in other areas out in the desert areas, it is vital that right. you, you know, that, that one, the, the coyotes don't want people carrying a large load because they're going to be walking for days. Right. So, so they can't have them overloaded.
0: So the, the police in Tijuana, I mean, they, they got to know this is going on, right? I mean, is there is there any desire on their part to to do anything about this? One of the, the arguments that I've made is that the Mexican government has no care or concern whether or not Mexican citizens sneak into America because essentially to them it's free money because we know that a lot of them will send money back to family and things like that, boosting their economy, but they're not then providing any any. Um, services for that citizen, they're just getting free money. Am I am I missing the boat on that, or am I right?
1: No, it is it is huge for Mexico uh, in the in terms of revenue that those that are Mexican and they come here illegally send money back south. Yes, that money gets put into their economy. So for Mexico, it's a win win. Right. And and no, they're not. They don't necessarily try to stop them because it's just like a United States citizen going up to the border. Can you really stop somebody from going up to the border? Mm, no. Yeah. Because it's still in the United States. Well they're still in Mexico. They're not illegal until they cross that fence. Right. So yeah. there's there's not there's there's limitations as to what the Mexican government can do on that fence.
0: Okay. So penis penis now. Penis. Paint us a picture, a little bit of, of that that five mile section from from I five to the to the ocean. I mean, what does it look like? Is it a is it a concrete wall? Is it just a you know a three wow. strand barbed wire fence like we see out in the the country on most farms around here, or or what does that look like?
1: So when I started in ninety five, it was the steel landing mat fence was already erected. Okay, uh, in most of most in most of IB not all of it in most of IB and they were working on finishing it up and so that fence before that was a barbed wire fence it was a two strand
2: hmm.
1: and in most places it was either cut or it was so so stretched out that you could just push down on it and walk right over it, it didn't really matter right um And so when they, so just to give you an idea, before the landing mat fence was erected, people preparing to cross into the United States were doing so in the United States. They were already north of the line, sitting in large groups and the coyotes would go and make their deals, you know, I'll cross you for so much and so on and so forth, make, you know, cut their deals for him. And then once he got his number of people that he could cross over, you just tell them, all right, just hang on right here, and I'll be back for you whenever we're going to get ready to cross. So those deals were already – they were being done here in the United States. They were already about 100 yards, 200 yards north of the line. And it was just – so uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie. Uh, what was it? Uh, um, Born in East L.A.?
0: Oh, yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's uh,
1: – is that exactly uh... how Really? Cause that's actually, what was that? Was. That's, that's Cheech will.
0: and Chong, right?
1: No, uh, that was, uh, Oh, I can't remember the name, but, it was, uh, a, it, was but a a it was,
0: it was a comedy movie though, right? Yes. Yeah. And it, yeah. So, and it was actually like that in, in, in real life is what you're saying.
1: Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Uh, they, they, um, did all their dealings out here on the United States. Now, when the fence was put up, obviously it pushed them back. Right. Um, yes, actually, it was a Chi Chi Chong uh, movie, uh, Born so, in New so um, and, and Go ahead. Cool. So so when the fence was put up, the landing map fence, the landing map fence was, uh, was approximately 15, 15, 18 feet high, okay. depending on the area. And it created that, that barrier. Now, it didn't stop the flow, obviously, because people were still crossing, but it slowed them down enough that we could then put resources in place to be effective in arresting those people. Before, it was just a free for all. Right. Uh, we we couldn't we could not keep up with it. I mean, there was one. It was limited limited uh, um, border patrol agents out in the field, but limited boots on the ground. Limited uh, equipment, uh, the vehicles, the stories I could tell you about the vehicles are ridiculous. This is not a joke. You could actually, there were some sedans that we had that you could actually see the the road as you were driving because there were holes in the floorboard. Oh wow! That's how bad we had it. We we were, our vehicles were being held together with bubble gum and tape, and I'm not exaggerating right. in some cases. Yeah. So, so we've come a long way. Right. Now, looking at the, looking at the Juana now, looking at that border wall uh, uh, with the Juana, it is now a Ballard fence, meaning it is an 18-inch round uh, concrete with with reinforced rebar pillars that go up 20, 22 feet with an angle on it. So that angle adds another couple of feet, so you're looking at twenty. 22 to 24, depending on the location, and in some locations there's a secondary fence. So we've really improved quite a bit in the, in, in that area. Now, looking at the looking at back in '95, there was huge crime rate in San Diego along the border. Mm-hmm. There was murders, rapes, prostitution, you name it. It was a free for all. It was the Wild West back then. So looking I'm, at it now, what's that? Uh, well, I'm am
0: here. I'm I'm sitting here looking at the um I'm I'm looking at the um at Google Maps. You know, looking at the uh, at this fence you're talking about the 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 concrete bollard fence. Um, yes, and that looks pretty significant. Is is when they start talking about a wall, is that what we need? Because so this is maybe a, we're going to maybe go in a little bit of a different di- direction here. But my my thought, and I said this on, on Friday, is that it seems to me that what we really need on the Mexican border is a straight up like Great Wall of China type of wall, like a, a fence and, and some barbed wire. Is just not going to cut it. And when we start talking about, nope. you know, drones and, and all that sort of stuff, then you're just talking about a continuing ongoing cost of whether it's maintenance or, you know, putting fuel in the, in the drones or like I said, you know, batteries in the flashlights or whatever. Um, if we build a great wall of China type wall, um, it, it seems to me that it frees guys like you up to, to do your job. Am I, I mean, is that sound like an accurate Assumption or analysis?
1: Yes. So yes, obviously a a barrier, a solid barrier. Um, does it have to be exactly exactly like the wall of China? Probably not. Right. Um, but yes, a solid a solid defense that allows us to do our job. That Ballard fence did its job at that time, and that's all we could do. That's all we had. That stuff was from, mili- from the military. It was excess military material that we would get from the military. If you go through, some of the areas still have some of that kind of fencing. It's rotting. It's rusted. It's, it, you can poke your finger through it. It's a hazard. So, with, with technology the way it is now, we can do a lot better obviously. And San Diego has done it, which is why it's so much. I mean, you have shopping now right there where we used to catch hundreds of people a day. Now they're shopping. It's a commerce. It's the location of commerce. People from Tijuana come across the the pedestrian bridge. They do their shopping and then they go right back. Now, of course, they go when they come across, they get examined by uh, an immigration officer which is the way it should be,
2: Right.
1: they get their things done and then they go back home and vice versa. People from San Diego go down to Tijuana and they do shopping and then they come back home. But that's, that is the way it should be with your neighbor, with a neighboring country. You shouldn't be trying to pre- prevent their people from crossing illegally. This should mm-hmm. be a legal process because then the economy benefits, the, if you if you go out into into the desert area, you will see trash everywhere. It's devastating. People complain about all oh, the the natural resources. They're destroying the natural resources. Mm. There are locations on mountain areas that nobody sees because nobody goes up there except the agents and illegals. And there's a pathway at the on the Huachuca right up right up the middle of the Huachucas in, in uh, Arizona, there's a path that's about almost a hundred yards wide. Mm. And it is the camp there. They obviously, if you're camping, you you, sooner or later, you're going to have to use the bathroom. So there's all kinds of areas where it's not very. uh, Sanitary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's garbage. There's clothing. There's bottles. There, there's everything: plastic, glass, uh, aluminum. You name it. And they, and agents will go up there and they'll clean it. So, so you, know,
0: you it, so they, you've they, got border agents essentially out there just cleaning up the desert because of the the mess that's being made by the the folks coming yeah. across.
1: Oh yeah, I mean they don't care. So they honestly don't care. They don't think about it. So.
0: Well, and as I say, as I'm sitting here, as you're talking, I'm kind of scrolling through, you know, the the Google Maps and the the Street View or whatever, and and you can go on both sides of the border and see what's happening, and you know, in in San Diego, you know, streets, you know, relatively clean for a large city, and you you go into Tijuana, just literally right across the border, a few hundred yards, and it looks like a garbage dump. Same in Nogales in in Arizona, and and on the other side in in Mexico, and Um, it's, it's somewhat disturbing to be honest.
1: So uh, fortunate for San Diego, Tijuana is actually a city that is an industrial city, right? They have, um, all kinds of goods being made there for the U S they import a lot of stuff there. So for San Diego, it's, it's extremely beneficial because Tijuana is economy wise. It's pretty close to San Diego. Okay. So the living conditions are very similar. Now, as you continue on going towards Arizona, New Mexico, and even down into Texas, the towns get smaller. Right. the The economy is almost nothing. So when when I where I worked over in Naco, there's Naco, there's Naco the, on the U.S. side and Naco on the South side, and they're pretty similar as far as size in a uh, population wise,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but obviously the U S has a, a better economy. So there's a little bit more prosperity on the U S side. Right. If you look on the South side, the, the roads are dirt,
2: mm.
1: you know, when it rains, it's mud. When it's dry, there's just nothing but dust going through the streets because a little bit of wind picks up and there you go. You got yourself a nice little dust storm. Um, most places don't have running water. Uh, if they have electricity, it you know it's, it wouldn't pass code here. Let's just put it that way. Uh, they have bare wires the switches are, are, are exposed. I mean it's just right So when you're looking at the two sides, that's what you're looking at is on the US side there's prosperity on the south side it's not. If you look at Nogales, Nogales, is, it has some prosperity, no doubt about it. They also have some industry industry going on in Nogales. But it still not doesn't match right. what the U.S. has. So then you have, so here's, here's another point of view. If you're looking at that, they have children. Where do they send their children to school? They send them here to the U.S. Mm. because they get a better education.
0: And they do that illegally, or, or is there? I mean, is there a, is there some sort of reciprocity program?
1: So no, they're not supposed to be going. Okay, so there's rules to this. If they're in the, if they're U.S. citizens, of course, they can live in, in Mexico and then send their kids to the U.S. I mean, that's that's their choice, right? Yeah. But in most cases, they're not. What they are is they're they're lappers, legal legal residents of the United States but the rules change. The rules change between your status. If you're a U.S. citizen, you have full rights. Then you go down to a lapper then you're, and your rights diminish a little bit. Then you go down to uh, 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 like a uh, a worker visa type person, okay, right. a B1 or B2. Um, so the visa programs. Nope. Then So that diminishes your rights a little bit more. And then you have those that are just here, just they come in and do work and and that's it so you have different levels of rights right so the lappers are living down south and they're sending the kids up north to the u.s to go to school that's violating their 551 status right I see. that's in violation right right and it's plain. It, it's it's in black and white. I mean, we're not we don't hide these things when we, when they get their lapper status. We tell them here are the rules.
0: Yeah, this is right. how if this is supposed the to be. Card work. over.
1: Right, if you flip the card over, some of those instructions are on the card on the mm-hmm. back. So we uh, don't we make it as as easy as possible for for people when they come here to the US to follow the law, you know, but, you know and, and right. abide by that law.
0: On the phone with me is retired United States Border Patrol Special Operations Supervisor Hector Regalado. Hector um, has been a Border Border Patrol agent for over 23 years. He's now retired, um, did a stint in the Navy, a bunch of other things, and has a very unique uh, perspective on customs and Border Patrol. So, Hector, once again, thanks for joining me. But let's, uh, I want to move into kind of the other side of this discussion, kind of the the personal yeah. side of it from your perspective you actually were born in Mexico and came to the United States pretty young age were naturalized became a naturalized yes. citizen in 1992 you said is that right yes so
1: tell yeah, us a, I was
0: uh, I was gonna say just tell us a little bit about that and and your experience at, with immigration and becoming a United
1: States citizen so I, I my parents brought me to the U.S. when I was about six, six six and a half. And um, we lived in L.A. Um, as I grew up, I grew up uh, just like any anybody else in L.A. I mean, it was a, a pretty normal uh, upbringing. Uh, and then I decided I wanted to join the Navy. Okay. Um, in the Navy, I was... Uh, I was limited by my status as a legal legal resident. So and I was going to say, I mean your parents. There were certain...
0: for clarification. Your parents brought you here legally and went through the proper channels and proper processes. Yes. correct. Okay.
1: Y- yes, we came through the Tijuana port of entry. Okay. Or to through the San Diego port of entry. Actually, San oh. Diego, not Tijuana. But um, so yeah, no, we we were we came through legally, um, and like I said, I mean, uh, I never growing up there was never a thought about citizenship or not I mean I considered myself a U.S. citizen I had no other really because I came here so young I really didn't have a whole lot of memory about growing up in Mexico Mm -hmm. Uh, I did have obviously I remembered a few things with you know uh, with family and things like that but never really that was never something that we talked about Mm -hmm. you know um, and as I grew, grew up and decided to join the Navy uh, the recruiter told me well because you're a lapper there's only certain positions that you can come into the Navy and, uh, to be so it re- that was a restriction I mean, remember I said that there right. are limitations as to your status uh, whether you're USC a lapper or visa or other
2: right
1: um, your your rights vary depending on where you are on that scale. Um, So I wanted a little bit more. I didn't want to just, I came, I went into the Navy as an electrician.
2: Okay.
1: I went through, I went through the school in um, Chicago, the Great Lakes um, Naval Station. And, but I wanted to be, I wanted to go to the next level, which was a nuclear electrician. Mm. Well, if you're going to go into nuclear, you, You have to be a citizen. There's no ifs, hands, or buts. It's top secret uh, information, and you have to have that clearance. And the only way you can get that clearance is if you're a USC. Okay. So that's what pushed me to become a USC. At that time, the immigration, yes, there was an immigration debate, but it wasn't as
0: as, As fervent as it is now.
1: Right. So uh, you could get a job anywhere. I mean, you know. In L.A., there's plenty of jobs. You you can do whatever you want. You can go to whatever school you want. And nobody was, you know, asking you about your citizenship. So it never came up once I got into the Navy. It did. So I became a U.S. citizen. That was my choice, right? Right. Um, Now, when I came into the patrol, then things – then I got – well, I got educated. I I learned a lot more about immigration and how it works and how – you know, what it, what it is, how the process goes, and where, you know, where you need to be to do certain things and, and things like that. Now, as an agent, because I'm a, I was a federal employee, specifically law enforcement, we got a background investigation every five years. Okay. And that's so that we have a clearance for sensitive information. Okay. It's not a tick. It's not a TS. It's not a top secret. Right. But it is for sensitive information.
2: Right.
1: Um. So I had a past background there too. Hmm. So that's. That, that, I mean, that's all those things. You know, are very relevant. Very, very important to know when you're a, a lapper. You know, there are going to be limitations. So your USC, the doors, the doors fly open for you.
0: So, so one of the thing one of the reasons I, I bring this up is because I, 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 a lot of times people because you, you and I have we talked a little bit before we came on the air, um, you, are, you are absolutely in favor of a physical barrier, a wall,, you know, whether it's a great wall like oh, yeah. China type wall, but it, a physical barrier because we need to deal with illegal immigration. And oftentimes yeah. the argument is the reason, you know, guys like me want a wall is because I'm afraid of brown guys like you coming to take my, oh. my job. Right. I mean, that's the argument. Oh, you must be a racist. You must hate Mexican people because you want a wall. And so the reason I bring it up is that you're looking at this going, Hey, we did it the right way. Eh, they still need a wall. I mean, am I, how do I, I, I don't know how to, 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 get that message across that it's not about racism. It's not about hating the Brown guy. It's about border security and and national sovereignty.
1: Definitely. It it is about security. That's the bottom line. It's about security. As as I used an example with San Diego and Tijuana, the crime rate, look at the crime rates now Mm -hmm. compared to back then. If you go along the border, look at the crime rates in Nogales, look at the crime rates, you know, in El Paso, you know as those those locations have somewhat of a fence already up there prior to that look at the look at that stuff now those are just you know cities that we're looking at
2: mm-hmm. but
1: what about between those large i mean look at between Nogales and Mexicali or Yuma okay right. look at between Nogales and Yuma it is a huge stretch of desert who who's who's coming across right now can anybody t- say yeah. who's coming across right now yeah. nobody yeah. There not we, we don't, don't know have enough technology to keep an eye on every last square inch of the border
0: so that's, f- so from the border Yuma, uses its... from Yuma alone to um to where say um, I'm trying to think of what like what El Paso how far of a how long of a stretch of border is that ah uh, I mean just to drive it I'm, I'm I'm putting it into Google Maps here just to drive it is yeah. is got to be a, a few hundred miles not I mean it, it's uh, it's 516 it Yeah it's 516 miles to drive it down a highway or down Interstate 10 so I'm guessing it's yeah. got to be you know 6 700 miles of border along
1: there not roughly roughly yeah I mean that that's about right it's it's somewhere in the 600 and how
0: and how much of that is there? Where there's just no, no, no border protection at all. Is there anywhere along there where it's just uh, you know sneak through the trees?
1: Oh my God! Yeah, uh, I would say ninety percent of it is 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 wide open.
0: So you're, you're kidding me. No. See, and I didn't. There's nothing that, out there. It's a desert. That's insane to me. That is absolutely insane to me. So, okay. So then the the question then for me becomes, you know, like say, it's not about, you know, being afraid of, of the, of the Mexicans stealing our jobs kind of thing. It, it, to me, it's about security. So then what is the answer is Donald Trump's wall? Really? I mean, as much as people want to hate that idea and, and feel bad about putting up a wall between us and our neighbor, is that really the best solution? I mean, as a guy who's been that's, in it and doing it for twenty plus years, is that the solution?
1: That's part of the solution. Okay, that's a, a piece of the pie, and that everybody's focused on that one section of pie. There, the rest of the pie is more agents on the ground, mm. technology, resources. Do you know we don't we don't work overtime? Right. The last, the last pay reform that we that passed for us Since eliminated our overtime. So there are times where, what are you going to do? Oh yeah. yeah, you know, John's out there working right now. Somebody go out and relieve him. Oh well, I ain't got overtime. What are you going to do? Yeah, as it as it is, the board patrol, our mandate is twenty one thousand six hundred or something like that, just under twenty two thousand. We're under nineteen thousand. First of all, mm. Trump, President Trump came in and he wanted an additional 5,000. Uh, well, we're already short. So that's an additional 5,000 that we don't have.
0: Right. Is it uh, is it a recruiting be issue? Because you worked in that area, too. Is it is it just hard to recruit people to work that?
1: It is difficult to, to recruit in the sense that when you talk to somebody, the first question they ask is, do I have to start down on the southern border? Yes. Mm. You have to because that, that is where you needed. learn how to be an agent. Right. Where one, that's where the need is, but two, that's where you learn to be a border Patrol agent. Mm. Coming up to the northern border, you don't get the same experiences. Right. You know. So it's it, uh, it's night and day, really, kind of.
0: So one of the things you, you said the the lack of agents is so, like, say, my thought process of building a. And, and I'm, I use this just because it's something that everybody can recognize. I'm not talking actually building a, a wall out of bricks and clay and mud like they did 900 years ago in China. But it, like a Great Wall right. of China type wall, a full-on physical barrier, you know, if it has to be 30 feet high and, and 40 feet wide made out of, of concrete and bricks or whatever, mm-hmm. a, a barrier like that, does that then free up a bunch of agents and the number of agents be, uh, becomes less of a of an issue? Because it seems to me like if we if we build that kind of a wall, then there's less agents, like you say, having to patrol for holes in the fence and and yeah. stop the just the, the the literal wave of humanity coming across the border. They can focus on a little bit more important stuff. Or am I am I not understanding the process properly?
1: So the purpose of the wall really is so that it it pushes the traffic or the people to an area where we. As agents can then do an effective arrest without one pushing them into areas where it, it, it endangers lives, both the illegal and the, and the agents. That's that's our priority is keeping people safe. Mm. Um, so uh, having a fence or or wall allows us to control that traffic a little bit more. It does free up more agents from those areas because now instead of having an agent every few hundred yards to keep an eye on that stretch of fence. Now you can just you can put that with the wall there. You can put cameras and now end sensors and other technology, mm. and it allows the agents to go and focus in the areas where the traffic is. Mm. The- and so your your resources are better used, and that's the whole point is that. We're limited on resources, and we have to use those resources effectively, and not previous, previously by putting them in, air, you know, in saturated areas that a wall could be there instead. Right.
0: Now, the other there's several arguments, of course, that come up when you, when you start talking about the wall that there's some areas where oh, it's just too rough a terrain and we can't build a wall there, mm-hmm. um, or we don't need to build a wall there. I've always said that the you know the Great Wall of China was built in some pretty and in actually quite much much more treacherous areas than than what what we're facing here. Um, does that argument pl- hold water? And then the other one is, well, but they'll just dig tunnels, or they'll you know get taller ladders, or or whatever, and it it won't actually do anything. And walls just don't work, and we're wasting our time.
1: So, can we put them everywhere? We could. We could put them everywhere. Mm -hmm. But now that comes to the question of, is it really necessary? So if you have, like, let's say the Rio Grande out in in Texas, do you need to put anything there? It's a natural barrier.
2: Right.
1: No, we don't need it. So there are locations that we don't really need a a physical barrier because the natural barriers are already in place. Okay. A desert is not a barrier. A desert is just a wide open land that people run through. Right. You know, and... So, that's, so that argument about the desert, well, it's a natural barrier. No, it's not a natural barrier, because there, if it was, we wouldn't be arresting people in the desert. Right. Yeah.
0: So, well, and and some of that, the, so you know, the, the Rio Grande is in, in some areas is going to be nearly impossible to cross, you know, by humanity. Yet in other areas, um, it's little more than a stream, correct?
1: Correct. And so those are the locations that you would actually put something there, whether it's a fence or whether it was, it, it'd was be more technology to watch it. Um, there are different levels of barriers that we could definitely put in place. Yes. Um, so a, a, is it needed in every last square inch? No, it's not needed in every last square inch, mm-hmm. but it is needed.
0: So... <sighs> If, if you had a message, you your, your fellow um, Border Patrol agents, things like that, if you had a message for the, the regular Joe American citizen that's upset that whether they feel bad about the wall or they don't think the wall is going to work or, or whatever, or, or just in immigration in general, what would that message be? What would you tell, you know, if you could just kind of give a, a paragraph, hey, this is the most important thing. This is what we need to do to deal with this issue, because for one, and maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't believe that the issue can be 100 percent solved. I think it, it, it's a, it is a seems to me that it's an issue to be managed more than it is a problem to be solved. So regarding the issue of immigration, specifically the southern border, what would your message be to the regular Joe, you know, like me, who who's never worked in it and doesn't understand it?
1: So immigration is needed. There's no doubt about it. I mean, our founding fathers saw the need for it. You know, Rome saw a need for it. Uh, And the reason for that is that your nation has to have its sovereignty. Mm. The economy has to stay strong. Our economy is extremely strong. By not having immigration, by not having those rules in place, to manage who's here, who's not here, um, and managing our uh, our infrastructure. And by infrastructure, I'm talking about our economy, our 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 jobs, our everything that has to do with 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 that kind of labor force. We need to know what's who's doing what, where, and when. Our our national security is based on immigration. If we don't know who's coming in, then how are we going to protect our own people? Yeah. Ellis Island was there for a reason. Right. One, because we did, we needed to know who was coming in, and two, because of the diseases... It was a buffer zone. ...that we were trying to keep out, correct? Yeah, it was a buffer zone. Now, look at look at what's going on down south along the border and the diseases that are now popping up in certain areas along the border on the US side some of those were almost completely eradicated out of the US and mm-hmm. now they're starting to make a comeback yeah because we don't we can't check right. how are we supposed to know that one has uh, a disease polio let's say with him if
0: we don't know that he's crossing. Mm-hmm. And that's the and we're gonna run out of time where there's a million questions I got on that issue alone. Because like these two kids that that died in custody recently, and people want to blame ICE or CBP or whoever. And and the reality is that yeah. that, that child was was there's a you know, there's a, a very, very, very high likelihood the child was sick before they ever got here and and we end up getting tasked with dealing with the ugliness of all of that. But that's maybe a discussion for another time. So, uh, but as we, as we kind of wrap this up, I want to I want to kind of come back to a little bit more personal side of it from your perspective, as a guy who was born in Mexico, um, you know, obviously of of Hispanic origin. Um, my guess is, working in those areas, you ran into a lot of folks that were of similar origin, who maybe didn't see the oh, world yeah. like you did. Do do they? I mean, do they call you a traitor? Do they call you a sellout? Was, was that part? No. Was that part tough for you or not? Not at all. No.
1: No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, they they have, they have a lot of respect uh, for agents in general uh, because because of where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um, they they understood. They, they they We had a little bit more of a connection because some of them I did. Some of the people that did arrest were pretty close to where,
2: mm. where the
1: town that I was born in. So there's a lot of similarities in those things. They they look at me, they look at me, and they they can tell me pretty close to where I was, where I came from based on my features. Because
2: Mm.
1: in Mexico, features change quite dramatically from all the way from Oaxaca all the way up to uh, Sonora and Baja California. I mean, it's very different, really different between the two. and so looking at me you can really kind of like ad- identify the location where i came from so we could talk we we could just dis- you know discuss hey what's going on down there how are things going down there and some of them would ask me so like why why is it so different between the two countries and i say well honestly it's because of your economy mm. you know it i know it. it is it is not it is not something that that is is hidden it is it is the white elephant in the room that nobody wants to discuss. If the, the economy in Mexico was stronger, we wouldn't be having these issues.
2: Mm.
0: Is it is it that simple? Is it? I mean, is it just about money?
1: It comes down to money.
0: Yeah,
1: it comes down to money. Look at look at the cartels. Oh. Why are they in business? Yeah, money.
0: Well, and that's that's a whole other discussion are- that we're going to have to have at, at some point as well as I maybe need. to. <laughs> Maybe need to have you back with with the drug trade and the in the human trafficking and and I imagine you saw all of that as well, not?
1: Oh my goodness. What what really what really hurt and what really you know hit hit me at, at my core were were watching the children, you know, being dragged mm-hmm. dragged up into these areas, into the deserts, into the mountains, and they have no choice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're you know two year old, three year old, four year old. And I'm, and, and I'm looking at them and, and what do you, why would you bring your child through this? Mm. Yeah. Cause you're a dad, an adult, right? It, it, yes. Yeah. As an adult, it, it the, the trek alone for an adult is treacherous. But for a child, mm. that really hurt. I
2: mean, yeah.
1: that, that would, every time I saw it, 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 it up until now, I mean, I still feel really bad that children are put through this. Yeah. But the U.S. Border Patrol, the, the agents, it's amazing watching them with their children. Yeah, its it, I can
0: only imagine that it's got to be heartbreaking for you guys as well. Hector, I, I am out of time, and, and I, I've got to run to the news again, and I've got other interviews coming up today. We're definitely going to need to do this again and have you on and talk about some of that side of it, the crime and, and some of that as well. Um Anything else? Got about ten seconds. Anything else you think people need to know?
1: Well, they they really do. They're
0: when Uh, we're losing
1: when they're talking about immigration. They need to. They need to do their research, and they need to. You know, don't take one source. Yeah, look at multiple sources.